everyone. Welcome to Potlog Food Talks. Today we're going to, what are we going to talk about today? What are we going to talk about today? We fuck ups, fuck ups in the kitchen, just like we fucked up the intro for the episode. Fuck up situations. (laughs) (laughs) Mainly situations that apparently don't have a solution that you're in the middle of the kitchen and you get to see that a lot. Chefs coming up with this crazy way of solving problems or just freestyling a solution that just out of pressure. So remember this restaurant where we used to work, the one that we have mentioned so many times uh, at the line? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was outside checking my phone and a technician came to repair the vacuum packing machine. And he was like, okay, everybody listen. Nobody should touch the machine in the next half an hour. And I didn't listen. Uh, So I went straight to the machine and I used it and I broke it, (laughs) you know? And chef was like, he needed to pack his fish for service to uh, sous vide cook it during service. And he went completely mad and crazy like, I don't care how you do it. You repair that machine and you vacuum pack the fucking fish and blah, blah, blah. So I went back to the machine and I tried to figure out what was going on. So I checked and the the frame, there was this rubber that makes the vacuum work and it had like a little piece missing and i was like okay this just needs something uh, to to, to fill the gap you know so i went to the storage room checked like for different whatever i could use and i found some marzipan and i just stick it in there and like you know like in five minutes uh, the thing was repaired but uh, i remember this this were like the situations of extreme pressure where where you need to just like solve the impossible you know yeah you just do it yeah, like one example of of that sort of thing is like, I remember working for the chef who, when he got angry during service, he would do things to stitch you up, right? So he would like turn off your ovens or he would like switch your, like your fires around or your pots around. That's a classic, <laughs> a classic from, from a old school bully chef. It's great. Yeah. Um, and he did this one thing that I know that he learned from his mentor because I know because he told me about it himself. And one day I was working the associate, the fish and meat section and sauces. And he took my, you know, he was having a rant at me. He was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get your shit together. And then he took my jus, right? For people who don't know, jus is a concentrated meat sauce, like a demi-glace. It takes a really, really long time to make, really long infusion and reduction of broth of brown stock. And he just dumps it into the sink. And then but we continue service and he keeps calling out orders for dishes that contain jus. So I'm sort of thinking like, well, what the, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Like, And I know perfectly well that when he asks me, so for example, for a meat dish and I don't give him the sauce to the past, the plate, he's not going to be like, okay, we're not going to put sauce in because I threw it away. He's going to give me shit because I don't have sauce, even though he threw it away. Right. Yeah, of course. That's how it works. Of course. So like, what, what did I do? Like I, I straight away, we had these like big hot plates. I put like four different pans down on it and I just went into the back and got some like brown stock and I just let the pans get ripping hot and I poured the stock from one pan, uh, which obviously made like a big sort of like straight reduction and then it boils down. You pour it into the next hot pan, into the next hot pan, into the next hot pan. And then you repeat it. Until you, in a very short time, have something sort of resembling a sauce. And I was like a little bit proud of myself in that moment. But at the same time, it's like really frustrating because essentially what you make is nowhere near as good as a sauce that you cook properly. 
Yeah. Making a sauce, you put so much care and attention into it. You know, you skim it, you make sure it's the right temperature, you reduce it down, you know, you root all the stuff inside it, just roast it really carefully. But yeah, you know, it's this kind of example where you just, you just do what you have to survive, really. I have two more stories in mind. And these two were like the two most difficult things I ever had to solve in the shortest period. One was like, I was in this small restaurant and like an embassy hired us to do a catering. And, and they wanted to have this empanadas, like this, uh, how would you describe an empanada? Like a, a Galician empanada. It's like, like, a like a dough pocket, like a savory pastry. Yeah. Yeah. So just for this event, we had to buy some, like some trays. So I went to the, to a Turkish market near the restaurant and, and found this like cheap aluminum trays I could use perfectly for this. So I do my dough, my stew, everything. I prepare all the empanadas and I, I start to bake them. And it was like a short deadline. I, I had to deliver them in one hour and there was no not a lot of maneuver frame yeah. or maneuver space to do anything. So I have everything ready and okay, let's bake them. I tried to put them in the oven and the oven wouldn't close. This was like a, a, a real small restaurant. So these were like similar to house ovens with, you know, like, like the ones you have under the stove. It didn't close because the shape of the tray was not compatible. So it wouldn't, it was, uh, this thing was too big. And they just needed like, you know, not much, like one more centimeter to close, but it wouldn't close. So it's impossible to bake something like that. Like it, it, it just won't work. And also I just had like one hour time. And this thing was losing temperature, you know, like I had to solve this situation like, like right now. So like, like every time I, I've been like in, in this kind of cases, it feels like a survival instinct, you know, like I start just looking around to see whatever I see first and how can I use it. And I'm also like super ultra focused and there's a rush of adrenaline in the whole situation. And in this context, I was like looking around and then I see the, the rests of the doll that was on the table. And have you seen this medieval recipes where you have a, a pot and you sear it with dough on the borders? Like to, yeah. that's the, the image that came to my mind, you know? And it was like, of course, I can sear the, the frame of the, you know, of the whole oven with, with dough. And I did. <laughs> and the whole thing, it became like a bread, like a crust, you know? <laughs> <laughs> around the whole door of the of the oven it was beautiful yeah and uh and it was a, like like if nothing happened you know like everything was delivered on time nobody nothing said anything <laughs> there you go yeah it worked like i love that you know and it's like this feeling that you describe where you just kind of you just jump into survival mode you know i think that's like a really unique skill that chefs have uh, i mean that not like that many other professions have you know this instant problem solving and it's like, because you have the pressure, you have the time pressure. You don't have like, oh, something doesn't work. Okay, blah, I'm going to know. It's like, I need to get these in right now. And like, I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's a key attitude that I would say from which I distinguish an experienced chef from, from a rookie. There's someone who would come and say like, yeah, I, I couldn't solve it. You know, like just tell them we can't do anything. Yeah. I think like most of the times there is for sure something you can do. Absolutely. But, and uh, you want us to tell another one or should I t tell the most difficult one I ever had? No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Man, this was crazy. And this was really li like, okay, what, what the fuck can I do here? You know, like they hired me as a private chef and this was like a, a rafting expedition in the Amazonas. 
And these were like super high profile guests from uh, like a, a Middle Eastern country monarchy, you know. They were traveling like these two princesses with their bodyguard, their rafting instructor, their private guide. And then there was this whole entourage where I was the private chef. So they told me like, yeah, whenever we're going to arrive to a, a village and there you, you can buy local ingredients and stuff. And then there is like a two hour ride by car to the place where the rafting starts. And, and then we can. And I remember I was still in the city before traveling uh, like to the rainforest. And I was thinking about this, like, ah, yeah, sure. You can buy things in that village. And I was like... No, man, I'm not risking it. I'm buying everything in the city. I'm just going to be super safe because the thing is we had no refrigeration. So like, like um, you put everything uh, like in a cooler with big blocks of ice and that will refrigerate the stuff for the three or four days that you're you're traveling, right? So they told me, yeah, also when you arrive to this village, you can buy like a big cube of ice, like, you know, like a kitchen size cube of ice. And I was like, okay, perfect. Well, that didn't happen. We arrived to the village. First thing I see is like, you know, like like a cow's head with flies flying around and all of this like crappy, bad quality, whatever, like vegetables or stuff. Like nothing, nothing glamorous, nothing romantic about it. And I was like, okay, oof, good. At least I had like, I bought everything I needed, but I don't have any ice. I mean, there wasn't even gasoline in this village because uh, it was smuggled. Because it, it was like a, it, it's a basic ingredient for cocaine production. So it was illegal to have gasoline. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so we arrived to this place where, where the, the thing would start, like the, the, the trip it would be like a four or five days trip. And I'm waiting, waiting, waiting until the, because they would come after me. And when I arrived, there were like 20 people, you know, like building like this, whatever stuff, like a grill and a place just to spend one night there, you know, like, but, but it was like this high profile trip. So I'm waiting for the eyes and, and the, the guides, they, they arrive and, and I ask them, okay, well, where's the eyes? <laughs> And he opens this cooler with uh, just uh, like a pool of water and three pieces of ice swimming on, on it. Yeah, amazing. You know, and I I look at him like, dude, and he was like, what? And he was like, what should we do? And I was like, uh, cancel the trip. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to run out of food, like on the third day, for sure. Like there's not enough food, like for the four days without refrigeration or, I mean, it's very risky. So I... Uh, <laughs> I, that, that was like uh, the, that survival mode you were saying, like the only thing you're thinking about is how to solve this. I was like just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking until I, I remember this was not something like that, that took like five minutes. This was something like I realized the next morning when I woke up, I was like, of course, if we get living birds, we don't need to refrigerate them. <laughs> I ask someone. So I asked someone, hey, there are some farmers there. There was like a house with a farmer and he was like raising chickens and, and ducks. And I was like, buy every bird he has, pay, pay them whatever they ask for. And and we bring them alive. They will survive three days for sure before we kill them and, and we cook them, you know. Like, and they brought us like the birds and it's like, like a, a bag. 
you know, like, oh, here are the birds. <laughs> it's fucking and, crazy. Yeah, man. And, and so, and, and it was just before sailing, you know, you just uh, on the raft. It was like a raft trip. And it was like, okay, perfect. <laughs> now we have food for the next few days. Then a few days later, I also asked the, the guides to fish stuff for me. It was like a super crazy trip. Also, since I'm already telling this story, man, I had never killed a, an animal before. Yeah. And it was like a, like a super messy experience. I remember once reading, I think it was Magnus Nilsson. He had this story that he would teach uh, his chefs uh, how to kill a bird and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I, I thought like uh, as a chef who, who eats birds and animals, uh, I think it's important to go through that experience at least once and understand what you're doing and that these things, are, they, they don't grow in, in the fridge, you know? <laughs> and this was also like a super mess. There was this guy, like the, the one who told me how to do it. Uh, he was like, yeah, you you take like the whole thing, like legs and wings, everything like, like in one bunch. So you have like like the whole two legs and two wings in, in, in your fist, so to say. And, and you need to grab them really hard. And then with a knife, you would cut the, the throat off and this thing would start bleeding and moving and you should hold it, you know, while it's moving and your hand and shaking and going crazy, like, like for one minute, uh, it, it takes that long, you know, and he did it first and then I was next. And when I did it, I did like the common beginner's mistake, like the, the, the wings got uh, liberated. So, and it start, started like, like, you know, moving their wings like crazy and splattering blood all over the place. It was Super traumatic, man. Fuck. And I remember also, <laughs> I remember also, you know, like, okay, you never do that with a bird, you know, but, but, but this was a situation we need to take the feathers out and to cook it right away, you know, like, and it was so, so strange to have like a kitchen and a chicken breast warm. <laughs> Because it was still warm, you know? Of course, yeah. You usually associate this kind of thing like, with cold uh, ingredients, you know? Uh, and yeah, there are more stories from that trip, but I guess that's enough for this episode. Man, that sounds absolutely crazy. <laughs> what an experience, huh? That's like, I mean, that sounds like a trip where you have to solve like intense problems just the whole way through, you know? All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember then when I got back to the city, they asked me, like, like the place I was working, like, yeah, and should we make a business out of this? Like, should we like, you know, like once in a while send like a chef de party to take care of this kind of thing? And I was like, man, uh, it was like one of the things where I was most challenged in my career, like problem solving wise, like you said, like, like man, you're in the jungle, you have super high profile clients and you need to solve stuff at three meals a day, you know? Sounds like you, I mean, like you found a solution, you know, like in the last moment. Yeah, those two were, were really epic. What about your Mayo story and was it, was it, where was it like in a Japanese restaurant you were working in? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that was less pro, that was less problem solving. That was more like a showcase of like the sort of no questions asked mindset that you develop. I was in a Japanese restaurant in London and I had just come from a very high profile Michelin star restaurant in Spain. That's like very well known for unusual techniques and um, like creative approaches. And it was a big jump because the restaurant in London, it was like much more casual. 
right? And so like the chefs were also much more casual. They're great chefs, really, really good, but they like the, the vibe was very different. And I remember we had a really busy day and one of the chefs came to me and he was sort of like, Hey, we still need to make some, some mayonnaise for service. And I was like, ah, oh. and he was like, can you, can you take care of it? At that point, I was like a chef de party, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, like I was super busy, but I was like, okay, come on, like I'll take care of it. And he was like, all right, I'll give you a recipe. And he gave me this recipe for this Japanese style mayo. And I was like, okay, I started getting everything together. And so this guy comes to me and he's sort of like, oh, but by the way, the head chef, he wants us to do the mayonnaise with chopsticks because he says he likes the texture better. And... I didn't even question it. You know, I just said to myself, all I was thinking is sort of like, well, that's, it is what it is, you know? And so I took these chopsticks, like I clamped them between like my, my fingers, uh, took them in like a sturdy grip and just started beating the shit out of the egg, you know? Cause just like, back, 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 back. And I was like, I was, I, I didn't have a lot of time, you know, it was like right before service. So I started emulsifying the oil into this egg, like holding the, the bowl, like on an angle with like a, a towel and just sort of like clamping these chopsticks in my hand and beating. And I'm like halfway done when I look over and I see like the chefs like looking at me, just kind of like half like eyes open, half laughing. And I realized it was like a prank, you know, that they were sort of like, ah, oh, but the funny thing was about the situation is that it was a prank because it's, it's pretty impossible to do a mayonnaise with, uh, with chopsticks, you know, but I didn't question it. And I was just like, man, just fucking get on with it. You know, like just, just get it done. Just make it happen. And I did, you know, they were actually very like, even though it was a, it was a friendly jest, but they were in the end, they were actually very impressed that I managed to pull it off. You know, you remind me of another story that also involves whisking, but in this case was, um, whipped cream. <laughs> 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 so the, there is this guy like super enthusiastic and he needed to whisk some cream for a dessert you know this typical strawberries and cream dessert and he he started like you know like making a real mess like with the bowl and the whisk and plaka 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 and splattering all around with with cream and the chef is like it was a sous chef like hey what are you doing dude like do that in the sink and what he means is go with the whole thing you know like the bowl and the whisk in the sink and do it there so when it splashes it will be you know in a controlled environment and at that moment the the guy was talking to me directly and as he's talking we start to listen the, the thing that he was doing like plaka, 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 plaka. now now was like plaka 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 so, <laughs> and the sound we just recognized that he had, he had poured the whole cream on the sink and was, you know, like making this big square whisking <laughs> technique, man. Uh, I remember laughing like for, for hours, man. It was so fucking funny. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's so hilarious. I can just see it. I can hear the sound also, like in my imagination. Plaka, plaka, plaka. Ah, yeah. That's really funny. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.